You're listening to the Church of the Redeemer Sermon Podcast. Join us at our 10 a.m. worship gathering in Alcoa, Tennessee. Visit us at churchotr.com for more info and to hear other sermons in this series. We have been going through the book of Luke and we now come to the end of chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. We will see this at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his first miracle. It is telling that his first miracle is to perform a demon exorcism. More on that in just a minute. So Luke chapter 4, verse 31. And Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever And it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day... He departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the gospel of Christ. A big part of the early ministry of Jesus is seeking to answer the question, what has he come to bring us? What does he come to bring us? If he's starting his ministry, what is, what is the good for us involved? And I think this passage gives us three answers to that question. What has Jesus come to bring us? The first, rest for the troubled. The second, authority over tormentors. And the third, silence for all. What are the three things that Jesus has come to bring us according to this passage? Rest for the troubled, authority over tormentors, and silence for all. First, rest for the troubled. Why do I say this is a passage about rest? It's because nearly every miracle that Jesus performs is on the Sabbath day. As you see at the beginning of the passage in verse 31, he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and all of the miracles that occur from there on out 
occur on the Sabbath day. For them, that was Saturday a long time ago. Now, Sabbath was established way back in the Old Testament, especially in the Ten Commandments, which we read in Exodus 20, where the Fourth Commandment says, you are to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Why did God say? Because God created in the scope of seven days. Whether that was 24 literal hours is for another sermon. But on the seventh day, God rested. And as a pattern, for one in seven, we are to rest. We are to have Sabbath. Now, oddly, by the time you get to the first century, the religious leaders at the time said you couldn't do miraculous healings on the Sabbath day because that counted as a work. You shouldn't work. You should cease from work on the Sabbath. You were to rest from work on the Sabbath. And because healing somebody was counted as work, that was unlawful. You couldn't do that. And Jesus will have none of that. Because Jesus knows that rest is really about a deeper healing. And so what does he do? With the man who's demon-possessed in verse 35, he casts out the demon and makes sure no harm comes to the man. In verse 35. A little later on, in verse 39, Jesus rebukes Simon's mother-in-law's fever, and immediately it leaves, and she is healed on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about rest, and not just the mere cessation of work, but a deeper healing that we need. The demons even know this. The demons weirdly give Jesus an accurate identity. In verse 34, they call him the Holy One of God. Now, of all the accurate things they could have called him, why did they pick this one? And why is Luke taking the time to tell us that the demons call Jesus the Holy One of God? Because Jesus is the rest and Sabbath we need. We are to honor the Sabbath. Why? To keep it holy. I don't They don't call Jesus the love of God or the justice of God or the power of God. They call him the Holy One of God because they know he's the deeper rest and they are the tormentors of that rest. More on them in a minute. Jesus' power to heal is the power to bring holy rest. Deep rest set apart from our vain strivings, from the things that torment us and keep us from experiencing that deeper rest. He's come to heal it. To bring deep rest. In Christ, there is a deeper rest than the mere cessation of work. Now, I think middle class Americans are pretty bad at just the mere one day and seven rest. For most people, I think that should be Sundays, given the biblical precedent. But many of you know I'm pretty rigorous about one day and seven taking off. And because Sunday happens to be a work day for me, I take Fridays. Where... I've said this many times before, unless it's an emergency, I'm hard to reach on on text or voicemail or email. I'm not going to respond to them unless it's an emergency because I'm trying to rest. But one of the things I have found, being good about even staying away from devices for large portions of my Friday, is that I still face torments. I could be by a quiet mountain stream, I could be by a fountain And yet I'm often tormented by my own thoughts. All the things that didn't get done in the week. All the people I'd like to fix. All the anxiety I have in myself. For whatever thing that I am tormented by. See, 
The mere cessation of work is not the deep rest that I need. There's a healing that needs to be involved, just like Jesus heals on the Sabbath here. There's a deeper rest we need for the troubled. Well, what is your trouble this morning? Maybe you're dealing with an actual physical sickness like Simon's mother-in-law, and it's causing you deep soul distress. Maybe some of you are dealing with some kind of demonic oppression. I never want to rule that out as much as we tend to rule that out in our 21st century secularist world. Maybe that's really a trouble for some of you. Maybe, like me, many of you just deal with the perpetual low-grade anxiety. There's always something to be worried about. And when you don't have something to be worried about, you're worried because you don't have something to be worried about. I'm seeing a lot of head nods. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need a deeper healing, a rest for the troubled. So, do you really believe that you could be healed? Do you really believe that you could be healed? I confess that often I don't. And yet, sometimes I think God is slow in the healing process because my healing will generally tend to look more like that of a cancer patient who survives, who needs radiation and chemo, and they need friends to walk with them, and they need lots of prayer, and then there's a slow road to healing. But God can heal immediately too, like he does in this passage. Do you really believe that you could be healed, no matter how slowly or quickly it happens? Regardless, regardless, what we are not to believe in is our own healing. What we are to believe is that Jesus is rest, because that is the deepest rest we will find, not the mere cessation of work. Jesus has come to bring rest for the troubled. Now let's look at what else Jesus has come to bring us. Authority over tormentors. That's our second point this morning. Jesus has come to bring authority over tormentors. Now who are the tormentors in this passage? Of course, one, is, one tormentor is the fever of Simon's mother-in-law, physical sickness. We've already addressed that. There's lots of enemies to human existence, and you will see over the course of the book of Luke, Jesus shows authority over all of them. The world, the flesh, the devil, death. Jesus demonstrates authority over all of them, and one of them here just happens to be physical illness. But the starring role of the tormentor played in this passage is played by demons. Demons. Now, if you have a New Age background or a charismatic background, the reality and the pervasiveness of a spirit world with angels and demons probably won't trouble you too much. But for most Americans, including most Americans who call themselves Christians, the reality of pervasive spiritual warfare with invisible angelic and demonic beings is just not a part of our everyday thought world. If you have trouble believing in that kind of thing, I could go through all kinds of philosophical and theological gymnastics to show you why this is a reasonable belief. If you have trouble, come talk to me afterwards. But for the time being, for the sake of argument, let's just say, if you, have, if you believe in an invisible God, it's not too much of a stretch to think that there are invisible beings who are trying to counteract him. And as we'll see, they have no power over him. What's astounding is where we find the demons. 
Where do we find the demons? It's where we often find them in the Gospels. They're in the religious assembly. They're in the synagogue. In verse 33, a man who is possessed by a demon is in the synagogue. Now, this is a metaphor of that time that Israel needed to be cleansed before anybody else was. And for our time, it's a metaphor for the fact that demonic oppression and temptation happens in the middle of the religious assembly too. Now, Christians cannot be indwelled by demons. If you are a Christian, by definition, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and therefore you cannot be indwelled by a demon. But Christians can still face demonic temptation and oppression. And that can happen in the middle of the religious assembly. Another astounding thing about these demons is that they know the identity of Jesus and they get it correct. We've already seen how in verse 34 they call Jesus the Holy One of God. And in verse 41 they call him the Son of God. And Luke tells us in narration that they knew Jesus was the Christ. That means the Messiah, the true King of Israel. So I want to stop here and just admit two things. Who are our tormentors? One is that they can happen in the middle of the religious assembly. And another is that they can tell the truth. Our torments, whether they are in the form of real demons or not, can come in the form of the church. Many of you deal with past wounds from the church. I have talked with many of you in one-on-one, and whether it's other people or church leadership, being wounded in the, sake, or in the middle of the religious assembly is a common experience. And torments can happen there. Let's just admit it. Another thing is that torments can tell the truth. Something wrong you've done in your past, something that you're having a hard time forgiving yourself about, torments can tell the truth. These are hard, painful realities. And we need to admit them. And as soon as we admit that, we need to admit that Jesus has an ease of authority over those things that torment us. Jesus is easily in charge. This is not a 15-round Rocky Balboa fight. This is a one-round Mike Tyson punch-out. And all of the great epics of good versus evil in our cultural background, it, is, it wouldn't be much of a story to have, it play, you know, to have it be over in chapter 1. But with Jesus, in the battle against evil or the things that torment us, it's always over in round 1. It's always over in chapter 1. In all these instances, whether it's demons or fever, there's immediate healing and wholeness. Take a look at this with me. Twice in the passage it says that Jesus' word possesses authority. In verse 32, it's used in reference to Jesus' teaching. But then down in verse 36, the people are amazed after Jesus has cast out the demon. And they say, what is this word? What is this authority? And the word authority is specifically associated with the word rebuke. Three times in this passage, we see the word rebuke. Verse 35, verse 39, and verse 41. And Jesus rebukes demons twice and the fever once. And he has simple ease of authority over all of it. He's in charge over anything that would torment us. Now, there are a lot of things in our lives that we do not have any charge over or authority over whether they torment us, but there are also a lot of things that we let torment us, that we might actually have the power, if we were to just take it to Jesus, he, he could rebuke it with a simple word. 
but we let these things torment us. Friends, way too many of you are tormented by the political party opposition that you don't like and whoever happens to be in charge wherever. And you let these things torment you. And Jesus could rebuke them with a simple word. Many of you fear the authority of unjust social structures as if those were the final and determinative authorities and Jesus can rebuke them with a simple word. Many of you just fear the small and routine stresses of your life that you're not in control of and you let those things take authority over you and Jesus can rebuke them with a simple word. Jesus is the authority over anything that would try to torment us. What torments, small or large, do you need to recognize Jesus' authority over today? Sometimes, one of the biggest ways we can recognize Jesus' authority is by slowing down and stopping and then maybe being silent, which leads us to our last point this morning. Jesus has come to bring silence for all. Our third and final point this morning. Jesus has come to bring silence for all. Now, why do I say that? I think it's a major theme of the passage. In verse 35, the first thing Jesus says to the demon is, Be silent! Jesus almost never has a full-on back-and-forth dialogue with the demon. He commands them to be silent right away, and they are. Same thing happens down in verse 41, where Luke just tells us demons came out of others, crying, you are the Son of God, but Jesus rebukes them and tells them not to speak. He doesn't allow them to speak. He entreats them to silence. But silence is for all, is what I started this point out saying And it's for Jesus in this passage, too. Look back at verse 42. Jesus departs. After all that big day of healing, the very next day he departs and goes into a desolate place. It could just as easily read a solitary place. Jesus does this throughout the Gospels, presumably to go be by himself, to be silent, and to pray. Now, unfortunately for Jesus in this passage, the people come for some more miracles. They entreat him to stay, and the crowd rushes upon him. But he was originally going to be silent. Now, you know this is one of my hobby horses, and I say it a lot, but we as 21st century Americans are very bad at keeping silence. In fact, because of the things that often torment us, we rush to fill the void with more noise. That hard, stressful day at work, what's our most natural temptation? We just want to sit in front of the TV and veg out and binge watch whatever the next thing is. Or we get on our phone or our tablet and we just doom scroll on social media. I love the fact that the word doom scroll has become a new word because that's what's happening. Man, we, instead of just having silence on our commute, we've got to listen to the radio and get angry about something, Tennessee Vols, politics, I don't know. Or we listen to the latest podcast and we don't keep silence. We don't just listen to the person in front of us. So often we are just ready to respond with the next thing to say and we don't keep silence. That was even me this week. I'm in a helping profession and I was talking with someone this week who was dealing with some real pain. And after about 15 to 20 minutes of talking with them, I had a sense of what some of the issues were, and I was ready to start chiming in. And I said, hey, I, I, 
uh, I'd be happy to share what, I, what some of the stuff I'm seeing is, and, but the person wasn't done yet and appropriately asked, hey, I, I need to finish getting this out. There's a lot I need to say, and it's all in my mind, and I just need to get it out. And I was appropriately invited to keep silence yet again in my life. Friends, we need to keep more silence. How do we really do this? Well, Blaise Pascal, a philosopher, I, I talked about him a couple weeks ago as a guy who experienced the fire of God. Blaise Pascal once said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. To sit quietly in a room alone. All of man's problems stem from his inability to sit quietly in a room alone. It strikes me that we know that we need to do that, but most of the time we just don't want to. Or we don't want to want to. And so if you don't want to do that this morning, because you know if you got alone and got in silence, you'd experience what I often experience on Friday, which is having to face your torments or having to face your anxiety instead of trying to numb it with more noise. You don't want it. You don't want the silence. So I would ask that you simply invite the silence and pray, God, help me to want silence even though I don't. The second thing I would invite you to do is to schedule it. It's very simple. In American life, our schedules rule our lives, and so why don't you let it rule you in a good way? Schedule five to ten minutes a week. If you've never done this before, five to ten minutes a few times a week. Just to be silent, pick a time that in general doesn't come with a lot of interruptions for you, whether that's morning or midday or evening. For some of you, it might be your lunch break. And leave your phone in a different room or in a different place and just keep the schedule. And then, once you've done those things, simply just be raw and honest before God. It might look like, God, I do not want to go to that meeting today, and I don't know what to do about it. Or, God, I am mad at that person, and I don't want to talk to them. Or, God, here I am, yet again, I have no idea what to say. And just keep silence for five minutes, ten minutes. You don't have to do all the talking. Be raw and honest before God. And so, this is so ironic because of what I'm about to do. Our kids, I love our kids, and I love the family feel we have on Sunday mornings. But what I'm about to do is, hey, because we never get to do this, let's keep silence right now. (laughs) And uh, one of the people who has my DNA is probably going to be the worst at that. Love him. I want to do this. Even, even as our kids have come in, I want to take 20 seconds where you can be raw and honest before God, a word, a thought, just a sentence, and just invite silence. Hey, kids, we're going to be silent for 20 seconds together, not because you came in the room, but I'm just telling you what we're doing. All right, let's keep silence for 20 seconds. Amen. Friends, Jesus has come to bring these three things. Rest for the troubled, authority over tormentors, and silence 
for all. In our passage, this is contrasted with the demons who possess and divide. But God has come to unite us to himself in the person of Jesus to say, no, 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 I want you to feel the unity of that. All of these things, rest and authority and silence, are all means to an end. They are not the ends themselves. They are means to the end of experiencing God himself in his full unity, Father, Son, and Spirit. He is one God. The demons seek to possess and divide, and God invites us to join him. All because Jesus, in a way, was destroyed for us. Friends, Jesus was destroyed on the cross that we might actually experience rest. Jesus faced tormentors that we would be free of torments. And in his trial, Jesus kept silence so that in our silence we might experience the real God. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to know you because of what Jesus has done for us. Help us to experience you in silence and in authority in the ways we need uh, because we are desperate to have what Jesus brings us, most of all himself. And so we give you thanks for him in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you can join us next week. God bless and have a great week.